The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by the 2019 World Changing Women's Summit. Join us January 28th through 30th in Santa Cruz, California to nourish yourself, connect with other women in leadership, and elevate business. For more information and to claim your tickets, visit worldchangingwomensummit.com. That's worldchangingwomensummit.com. Hey there, podcast listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWpod. If you haven't yet, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. You're listening to the World Changing Women's Podcast, where each week we talk to badass female founders who've built game-changing brands that are making the world a better place. I think a lot of people think that there's such risk to bringing 100% of yourself to work. And I think actually the risk is to not. Tara Nicole Nelson is an absolute Wonder Woman. She's the former VP of marketing for MyFitnessPal, which is now a part of Under Armour. And during her time there, she grew their users from 45 million to over 100 million users. She's also the author of The Transformational Consumer and creator of the 30-Day Writing Challenge for Conscious Leaders. She's currently an entrepreneur in residence with Lightspeed Venture Partners and the founder and CEO of a startup called Soul Tour, a technology and media platform for spiritual well-being. And to top it all off, she's been featured in Harvard Business Review, Essence, and the New York Times, and was recently named the number one woman Silicon Valley tech companies should be naming to their boards by Business Insider. I had the chance to sit down with Tara Nicole to talk to her about how she's managed such an incredible career so far and how she's introducing spirituality into the tech world. And as an added bonus, she shared with me her best advice for a morning routine that inspires and connects people with the importance of their own work. I'm your host, Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media. Welcome to World Changing Women. There are like a couple of pivotal moments in which the like mass of this idea came together. One of those moments was, at, so my fitness pal was at my fitness pal. We had this crazy run. We were acquired by Under Armour. I left the company and wrote this book I had had in mind for a really long time. The book was called The Transformational Consumer. And it's about how to reach and engage customers uh, by by helping make them healthier, wealthier, and wiser. So I'm out on the road talking about this book, promoting this book, consulting you know, for companies that want to do this work. And I have the experience over and over again of you know, the, the CMOs, the CEOs even of these businesses wanting to do the right thing, but struggling to find the voice and influence within their own organizations to actually turn their marketing or their even product design um, initiatives into this sort of engagement engine built on customers' deepest transformation and aspirations. And I, I really got to the point where I could just see every week I would have another evidentiary point that you can't really use your work to lift people up and engage them if you yourself are not up and engaged, <laughs> if you yourself are down and disengaged. At the same time, as I was out on this circuit, I was running in to see to, to like C-level people I had worked with as a consultant over the years. And I had like 
in like maybe a two week period of time, I had a bunch of people say almost the same exact words to me. They all said, oh my gosh, I've been waiting. I haven't seen you in so long. I've been wanting to see you. I needed to tell you that you said something to me that changed my life. And I would ask them like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You tell, what did I say? These are all people, you know, who had hired me in some role as like a marketing consultant over the years or a, a marketing, you know, operator. And no one said anything about marketing. Everyone said like, well, you taught me, you know, you taught me about your writing practice. You shared your writing practice with me and I, I've started doing it. I've written every day for two years now and it changed my clarity. It changed the way I think. It changed the way I speak. Um, you taught me how to hold my body in space differently before I present. Because I, you know, as a marketer, you do like media training for executives and that kind of stuff. Um, everybody was reporting back that the most impactful things I had shared with them were the things that helped them be uplifted and engaged, right? Were the things that helped unlock their own voice and their leadership. And they were all like mostly around personal growth and spiritual spirituality practices, creativity practices. So all of that was like, those were dots that were connecting. I decided maybe about 18 months ago. So at the end of 2016, I decided um, to just do this passion project where I sort of shared my daily writing practice, which is one of the pivotal um, transformation and growth practices. It impacts leadership and spirituality and creativity that I share with people. Um, I decided I would do this passion project and just issue a 30-day writing challenge to all the conscious leaders and, and conscious creators on my own little personal list and I put, I, I used everything I knew about how to create a behavior changing experience, right? Not just like, hey guys, write. <laughs> but every day in the morning, I would actually issue them a little, little like an email that was like a lesson, but also a prompt for their writing. I would issue them a nudge every night. Like I took all the things that I knew about curriculum design and also, you know, trans behavior changing app design from my fitness pal, all of these things. And I created this little experience. And the first one we had about 150 people do. I've just done my seventh one. We've had a total of about 12,000 people take the challenge at this point. And it went from being a passion project to becoming like a core part of... It's essentially the entry level experience most people have when they come into the world of Soul Tour. Um, And I think the last probably element that converted all of this from just like aha moments and insights and passion projects into a business um, was, you know, being approached by Lightspeed Venture Partners who really um, invited me and supported me as I sort of ideated on how, on what I did, what I wanted to do with the next season of my entrepreneurial life and what that might look like in terms of, um, they literally invited me to do an entrepreneurial residency and work on the question of what spirit, what a spiritual content business might look like. Um, and in the end, I chose not to take venture funding for this business. I have chosen not to take venture funding for this business yet, but while I was in that residency, I, actually took a tour of the country doing what I always do, which is customer, you do customer insights before you do anything else in my world. (laughs) Um, So I went around the country talking to people, going to churches and Zen centers and 
retreats and spiritual courses and talking to people about how they care for their souls now in this day and age, talking to them about what's not working, what is working, spotting gaps. Um, and as I was, I was in New York on one of those trips talking to a journalist and she said, oh yeah, you're the CEO of, I, I kept telling people this, this trip, this customer insights junket was my soul tour. I was talking to people, I was touring the country, talking to people about how they care for their souls. And I kind of was saying it jokingly because I thought soul tour actually sounded like an R&B concert series. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'm on a soul tour. Um, until I was talking to this journalist who was, you know, a busy journalist. So she kind of was getting wires crossed and she said, oh, right, you're the CEO of Soul Tour. And I was like, yeah, actually, yeah. So that is how my company came to get its name. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end of my entrepreneurial residency um, with Lightspeed, I had gotten really clear about what a business model might look like that was sort of hybrid online education and subscription media business and um, just, you know, no passive content consumption, though, always encouraging creating content experiences that require and urge people to take action in their everyday lives in real time and to make that that action so delicious and so expansive and so joyful for them that they, they stick with the habits that they have always wanted um, to build like meditation, like free writing, but have struggled to be able to stick with in the past. Um, So that's soul tour (laughs) and that's what we do. Um, So I'm, I'm really curious, kind of practically speaking, I think I heard, you know, deep consumer research, uh, finding a name. Mm -hmm. Uh, What else did you do during this residency to really kind of what were the first steps of building a business in terms of was it social media? Was it building a website? Just kind of how did you actually what were the building blocks? It was Oddly, none. It was oddly not that. (laughs) So one of the one of the things was I was still I I had just maybe done a couple of my writing challenges when I started that residency. Um, Early on in the residency, when it became clear that this was possibly going to be a business, you know, I started learning all of these things about how other subscription media businesses do it and the funnels and flows that other people work on. I have mostly marketed apps in my life and this wasn't going to just be that or it wasn't going to be that to start. So I started learning about, you know, how people sell content and knowledge. And, you know, I kind of tried some things that other people do, but I realized that actually like the challenge, which I had already been doing, which people so love because it literally changes their lives. Day three and four, people are like, this is like nothing I've ever done. It's super transformational. Um, became sort of the top of my funnel, so to speak. Like I realized I already had this really precious, really effective uh, lead generation tool that also at the same time got people immediately engaged in the community, got them immediately doing the action, like taking action in their real lives. So they experienced real change in their lives early on, got them immediately like trained a little bit up in, in our language and our symbols and our stories. Um, and in breaking. So a lot of my (laughs) mission in life 
is to help break the pervasive trances of unworthiness and scarcity that people are operating in. So we do a lot of that just naturally in the course of the writing challenge. And as I saw that, I realized, oh, we can actually just, we can use this, optimize this as a big piece of how we get people in. So then I had this, essentially, I was running an MVP without knowing it. I was running a minimum viable product version of a funnel, <laughs> with a, a, a top of funnel anyway, uh, lead generation without knowing it. So in the entrepreneurial residency, I realized that was happening and I started, um, I started getting really clear on what, it, what my products were going to be. And there was some definite, there were lots of options. Um, frankly, like uh, some of my investors might have preferred for me to go down a route where we built out more of like a more of a traditional media company where we were just doing like shows and you know pitching shows to Netflix and stuff. And frankly, we'll do that one day. Um, but I was seeing the transformation people were having in these like real time group collective transformation experiences. And I thought, you know what? Like people will pay to support to have that in their lives. Um, and I wanted to experiment with some MVPs of that. So I started um, sorting through a couple of models, which we're now piloting. So we did an MVP. Um, actually, while I was still in the residency, I did an MVP for sale product of a, a, a book writing boot camp, essentially a 90-day book writing boot camp, because transformational leaders and conscious creators and people who've been on that sort of hero's journey of ever of continual evolution in their lives, often telling their own story in the form of a book is actually part of their journey. And it's also part of the, the fuller creative self-expression that I think is part of what spiritual well-being means and is. So I put together a 90-day book writing boot camp and like literally tried out different platforms, built the course myself, delivered the course myself, marketed the course. I mean, I had not placed a Facebook ad myself <laughs> in like some years. So there was some stuff where I was just like relearning what that, you know, this is not, no longer me having a team of 20 people to run a global marketing program, right? This was like, me in it, me in the work, me in the writing challenge with the people on the Facebook group so I can see what they're saying and see what they're responding to in real time um, and building the products that they wanted. Um, so we built and ran a couple of, MV, of, session, of cohorts through the book writing bootcamp. Um, we, I began to ideate like what the, and envision a core um, a cornerstone product that we're right now piloting the beta of called the School of Upliftment. So I put together sort of the, the concept and building blocks around that. And I just learned, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the individual people who are participating in my program. I learned a lot. I expected on my tour, my customer insights tour, I expected to learn what... I, you know, there's a per, there is a storyline, and it is true that there is a pervasive sort of epidemic of disconnection, digital chaos, and overwhelm, toxic headlines, um, people, you know, church and religion, PTSD, people feeling really disconnected from soul and spirit and source, 
um, or feeling like those things are off limits to them. That that storyline is real, and um, we're working on it. <laughs> we're working on that. Um, at the same time, though, what I learned on tour was all of the stuff that is working for people, like all of the way you know, in the wake of institutional religion, which you know, I am a black church lady right up there with the rest of them, but institutional religion is probably not that long for this world if you look at the data. And that's probably just as it should be. People are recreating every other kind of institution. They should recreate this too. Um, People are finding ways to connect like that work for them. And especially it's really fascinating to see like younger generations um, who do not do the traditional, you know, religious behavior behaviors that we think of as spiritual behaviors, actually reporting, like when you talk to them about their attitudes, they report all kinds of things that would make me call them more spiritual and less religious than other generations, right? They have a greater sense of just like wonder about the universe. <laughs> they spend a lot of time thinking about like appreciation and gratitude and trying to connect with other people. Um, they might choose to find their connection, you know, at the spin studio or, you know, by just putting together dinners or doing their own creative work. Um, you know, it doesn't look like what it used to look like for other generations, but it was fun to get out there and see what people are doing that is working for them to tune in and connect um, and figuring out how to bring some of those things together and bring in the you know pieces of ancient wisdom and modern psychology that in a systematic way for people has just been like literally the adventure of my life it is super fun. <laughs> so good to hear. Yeah. Um, kind of looking back now on just the building blocks of this, are there any missteps that you made or is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, it's early days. <laughs> <laughs> it's early days, one. Two, I don't believe in mistakes. Um, I don't even think that's a thing. I think every step gets me closer to objective or clearer on what will get me closer to objective. Those are like literally my only two options. So that's kind of great. <laughs> and it's kind of the blessing of being 42 years old. <laughs> um, I even like all the crazy stuff in my life, like there's an argument. No one in my life is surprised to see me doing this business right now. No one. Um, there is an argument that I could, could or should have done this business or some or been a minister or something or been a teacher or something 25 years ago. But like that, I did not, I was not who I am now. I did not know what I know now. Like the idea that someone like me who has a teacher and advisor spirit can also create a lucrative business using like SaaS tools that are very accessibly available. <laughs> um, this is this business would not have been possible as a business in this format even five years ago, and it so suits who I am and who my customers are that like I can't say we are all in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. 
Um, and we are, they call forth from me and from the other teachers that I'm sort of bringing into the, the mix, um, just a, a level of clarity and growth fuel for them that I just don't know if there is another time moment in time or place that, that we could have done this. Um, I do think that I've, I've had, I'm going to be super transparent. Um, I've had some back and forth over time about taking funding. Um, because I've, I have mostly worked in venture backed companies. I know what that looks like. I have relationships with some of like the most like big hearted, right-minded VCs in the Valley, including the people at Lightspeed. Um, I have had, I just have gotten, I don't, I will not say what I will never do. (laughs) Um, And I have been offered venture funding for this business. Um, Up to now, I've been, I haven't gotten to the place where I feel like I need it enough to put my, put this business on that path. Right. But I, what I do see is also a little bit of a, I think there's a shift happening in the entrepreneurial world where we're all being really thoughtful, like just raising venture money on its own is not a success metric, right? You having a successful business (laughs) is a success metric. Venture money can help you do that, but it also is a very specific path. And uh, there is a very specific sort of timeline and exit route that that an entrepreneur needs to be comfortable being on if they do that. So that's um, I'm just very aware of that, and you know, I I it comes up a lot because <laughs> I get calls a lot, <laughs> um, and because I want to grow fast. Um, but for now, we're not taking money and we're just building a sustainable business and uh we'll see where that we'll see where that shakes out over time your guess is actually probably as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true i i actually have a vision for this but it's it is temp, sometimes tempting because like i know how to use that money to pour the pour the gas on you know Absolutely. Uh, But I find that that's a a common trait among entrepreneurs is they have a vision of where they're going. And there's also that kind of in the background, there's always a voice that's like, oh, well, we'll see how this goes. Um. (laughs) It's got to be because otherwise you're like, if you get too attached to anything, you're kind of screwed. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know. Like people will surprise you. And that's like, so after my fitness pal, I actually ran a customer insights consulting firm where all we did was customer insights research. And like, especially when it comes to well-being, people will say one thing and do the other all day, every day. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you gotta, you have to have wise hypotheses. And I think for me, it's helpful. It's, it's, it's not even helpful. It is critical. I operate in, with incredible focus on my own inner guidance system and inspiration and intuition and what feels right and what doesn't. And then you just try it (laughs) and you see what works. 
and like you do more of what works and you don't. And it's, I do not mean that in a super, yes, we are, you know, data and analytics driven or, um, but that's one input because I think when your business is early, like mine is like your numbers are that when the numbers are small, even the data, you know, the hard data, you can't necessarily draw conclusions just based on that. So you have to also have some level of like intuition and some level of direct conversations happening with customers and, and, and give things a chance. Like that's the, in the content world in particular, I've just seen this because I've been now in this business, in the content business for probably since like 2006 before people called it that. (laughs) Um, you got to give things a try. You got and you got to give them a chance to get traction. Like the first time of a content anything is not going to probably be great. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I so, do. You, know, you got to give yourself you're a content entrepreneur. You got to give yourself and the content a chance to get good and then you got to give the audience a chance to know that you're going to keep it coming. Um cuz I do find people get way more interested in things after they know it's a franchise. Um, and you can only deliver that knowledge and trust through doing it a bunch of times regularly. So yeah, can't get too worked up about any individual thing. This episode is brought to you by SheEO. SheEO is a radically redesigned ecosystem that supports, finances, and celebrates female innovators. SheEO activators have contributed over $3 million in funding which has been loaned to 32 separate ventures in three different countries. In the beginning of next year, CEO will announce another 23 ventures funded, bringing the total to over $5 million and 55 separate companies. Learn more about this year's CEO Venture Semifinalists and how being an activator is shifting the landscape for women entrepreneurs at CEO.world. That's CEO.world. This episode is also brought to you by Visit.org, a platform that makes managing your corporate social action programs efficient and seamless. With it, you'll gain access to social impact team experiences benefiting local ventures, build a fully customized giving back program, and use back office tools to increase productivity and match employee interests. Start giving back today with Visit.org. Picking up on that, that kind of thread of intuition, it's something that I hear from so many women um, is just kind of one of their top pieces of advice is like to really listen to that intuition. If it feels wrong, it is wrong. Even if you have the check on the table or whatever the decision might be, just like just connecting deep to that inner voice. Yes. Do you have recommendations for how women can actually connect to that in a more significant way rather than just kind of being a fleeting gut feeling? Is there other practices for tapping into that? That is a hundred percent what we do, what we teach. So um, I have, I have a daily practice that I teach in the school. It's called, I call it creator's hour. Um, it's inspired by the idea there's a in, in Hinduism there's a time of day called Brahma Muhorta. Brahma is the creator god. Muhorta is like a time frame, like an hour. It's not actually an hour, but think of it as an hour. Um, and so there's this idea that there's an, a part, a time of day early in the morning during which your 
mind is as still and your spirit is as receptive as it's ever going to get all day. Because <laughs> mm. it's like before the world can get to you, before you start doing stuff. And so that's the time at which my personal practice is roughly this. And this is also the practice that we teach and guide people through. We literally send things that guide people through this on an everyday basis. Um, We get up in the morning and we sit in silence. Some people call that meditation. I try not to (laughs) because it freaks people out. Uh, And, you know, I talk to my students about listening in that time, listening for like the golden thread, (laughs) listening for that golden thread of a bolt of inspiration, whether it's small or large, an idea, a phrase, the, the urge to do something or go someplace. That's often how intuition and inspiration or inner guidance system speaks to us is just like that little bolt. Um, so first we sit for 20 minutes, then we write Um, I encourage people to free write every day. It's how you kind of capture all of those golden threads of inspiration and get them down on a page into something that's actionable. And often, you know, the writing is a lot of people are familiar with the morning pages practice, which Julia Cameron, you know, coined in the artist way. Um, There's a lot of emotional windshield wiping and slate clearing that happens in the process of free writing every day. I encourage people to, I actually prompt my, my students on what to write about every day. Um, but in a free writing practice, you write about, you write every grudge that you have, everything you remember from yesterday that's still lingering on your mind, everything about the day ahead or tomorrow that is front of mind that makes it hard for you to be present. Like there's all these categories of things and also just whatever is on your mind, like brain dump style, right? You're giving yourself permission to write really badly. You're turning your inner sensor and your inner editor off entirely for this little piece of time every day. And it clears all this space and into that space is where like, honestly, every idea, every piece of inspiration, every answer to every question, every solution to every problem flows in. It just does. Sometimes I even will actually, like if there's a question or a challenge I've been thinking about or needing clarity on, I'll write that question at the beginning of my day's writing. And by the end of, you know, 20 minutes later, 15 minutes later, I'm writing the answer. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's clearer because my thinking has clarified. Dots connect. Um, it also, there's just a bunch of, I could go on and on and on and on about that at a a daily writing practice. Um, if you were only going to do, if you had like 20 minutes every morning or 30 minutes every morning to do a practice that tuned you into your inner guidance system, I would say sit for 10 or 15 and write for 10 or 15. Um, in our school, we teach a practice that is a little bit fuller. So beyond that, we do some rewiring of limiting belief systems through daily declarations. Um, and then we also do encourage people to add some element of physical movement, moving their physical body um, to their morning practice. So that's a really long answer, but yeah. 
<laughs> That's such a helpful answer. And I am also ecstatic to hear that golden threads can come through the manifestation of a bolt that makes you feel like you need to go to a place. I just had this experience happen to me recently watching the third place World Cup game. Um, and I was like, I've never been to Belgium. What's in Belgium? And then I, I felt this sense that I just had to go to Belgium. Uh, and I, I didn't know what it was. I went and talked to my husband about it. I was like, I, I just, I have to go to Belgium. I don't know what's going on. And so I'm going to Belgium in three weeks. And now I'm excited to hear that that might be unlocking some beautiful thing for me. I eat so many things. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> First of all, it it does. And I mean, some of the things to look out for are like something you see there that gives you another idea. Um, as you're flying, literally just write out questions, just write, free write Mm -hmm. while you're flying there, right? And it'll kind of tune you in to picking up on, to seeing things in your, or or meeting people um, who may have an answer. This happens to me all day, every day, where I just like, in my writing or in my sitting in the morning, I'm like, you know what, I would really, what I need, I need somebody who knows about X. And then they show up or they call me <laughs> or they email me <laughs> or I check my email at a weird time and there's an email from a person who I bet would know that. And I hit it like a marketing email and I hit reply and they're like, yes, I am happy to tell you the answer to that right now. Um, the other thing is I was actually watching a movie two years ago. I was watching a Bridget Jones film and I got a bolt of inspiration to go to Belgium. What? <laughs> so I did. I spent a lot of time in Europe and I ended up in Brussels and actually almost moved there. <laughs> um, so that's just like a bizarre coincidence. So after this, you should ask me everything about Brussels. <laughs> yeah, I, any time there. I, I, probably... I have friends there. I'm happy to introduce them to you. I also just happened when I came home I fell in love with someone here, so I ended up not moving. Um, but that's odd, and I feel like there is a reason we just have that conversation. Yep. So it remains to be seen. So before I pivot the entire podcast to be a tourism blog for Belgium. Um, or just Europe or beautiful places in general. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which, you know, then I'll just be your guest every week. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, deal. Um, So you're just like pouring out all of these incredible practices and this unbelievable wisdom. I'm curious for you, we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this and uh, also a lot of people who are kind of in the thick of it, a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs. From your professional journey, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to these people? All right. All right. I'm going to try to do this without taking two more hours. Um, (laughs) One... Manage your own emotions. <laughs> mm. um, I think it's so, so incredibly easy to natural. That's the word. It's incredibly natural for an entrepreneur to have a great deal of both wanted and unwanted emotion in the course of your day working, including anxiety. Anxiety is a big one, right? Everything feels like oh my gosh, like this could be wonderful or terrible. I'm like, I don't know what to do. There's a lot of uncertainty and people are depending on me. But that anxiety is incredibly contagious. It, it is also incredibly destructive. Like it shuts off access, to your own access to your own highest brain centers. 
And it does the same thing in the people who work for you and with you. So whatever kind of practice you come up with to manage your own emotions and to have that like re- place you can go to reset and recalibrate on an, literally a daily basis, do that. It's almost more important. It's way up in the top couple of things that you could do to be a great entrepreneur. So that's one. Manage your own emotions, get a practice, and commit to it. Two, I would say recruit on mission. So I've been having this experience in my business and I had it in my last company where I pretty much only work with geniuses. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which makes my life a freaking hoot, seriously. Um, But, but genius people uh, want to work on really important things and they want to work with really, um, conscious and self-aware leaders. And sometimes they'll work for much less than they would otherwise or free even if all of those other things make sense. And so, for me, it's just really important to have to have like a whole team of geniuses around me, whether my vendors, my contractors, my employees, my partners. Um, and I have found that people get really excited about like mission. So like I live in a place, I work and live in the Bay Area. Every place I've ever worked, I felt like the people I was hiring were also getting job offers from Facebook and Google and Twitter and whatever. So one, yes, they need to be, you know, not turning those offers down to work for you if, if in a struggling business. So there's some like, you got to make sure that, you know, you're building a business that makes sense for them to work in. But, but most of them care about, my people care about mission a lot. And people will work for you that would be really hard to recruit or convince otherwise if you recruit on mission. Um, Let's see. I think the last thing is like, there is this book called Boundaries for Leaders by Henry Cloud. And everybody should read it. (laughs) (laughs) If you are trying to lead any kind of team, you should read it. Because I do think people, especially conscious leaders, really do actually, I don't want to say we're all people pleasers because we're not that in the pejorative way, but I think we are uplifters and we want people around us and we want people we serve. We want people to feel good. And there's a lot of what genius, great teams require to do genius, great work that involves um, very thoughtful, very conscious boundary creation that is not in a way that's like nuanced. So like not shifting strategy all the time, all the time, all the time, which is very common in startups. Um, That is like one boundary that allows really genius people to let their brains work on a problem long enough (laughs) to have, for your team to have their bolts of inspiration, for your team to have their golden threads happen. Right. Um, So that book is just very helpful at like systematically walking a leader through all of the places in which they need to put some boundaries, um, put, put install and maintain boundaries to unlock the best work from their people. Thank you. 
Um, so I've, I've heard you mention conscious leaders and conscious leadership more than once now. What do you? What does that mean to you? And how do you feel like you embody that in your work? Mm-hmm. I think of conscious leaders as like, I think of conscious leaders as people who are awake, <laughs> who are self-aware, who are aware of their own strengths and weaknesses and tendencies, the places where they can trip their people up and the places where there's, they have unique and special gifts and talents that lift other people up. I think of conscious leaders as people who see their work in, inside their companies and with their customers as part, as just one element of a whole life designed to lift people up. Um, and I see conscious leaders as people who really work from the, and live from that intersection of personal and professional growth. I think of conscious leaders as people who create, and I think of conscious leaders as people who transform. They're kind of like improvers. They always want to level up the system or the people in the system or the something. And, you know, there's all these systems, definitional systems around like, you know, caring for all of the stakeholders in a system that I, all of those things too. But those are some of the things that I think of. Let me add this. I think of conscious leaders as people who are, as people of calling and purpose mm. um, and people who are willing to do the personal work of walking fully into their calling and purpose. And that, because I just said that definition, I think of myself as one of these people. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, I mean, I've always, I have tried to start businesses since I was literally five, four years old. Um, It's like what I know how to do. Some, I was at this retreat where they asked you to say like 10 things that you did when you were a child and or 10 things you loved and 10 things you loved to do when you were a child. And like nine of my 10 on both were like, be the boss, start a business, be the boss, <laughs> boss people around, tell people what to do. You know what I mean? Like, that, like that's just it, one of my special gifts is attracting brilliant people and inspiring them to build something that's bigger than all of us and changes like people's lives. That's what I do really well. Um, and that also involves a lot of, in the way I do it, and that's the only way I know how to do it, it involves an incredible amount of personal transparency around my own path, um, and my own practice. I don't believe you can actually bring other people to an experience that you don't have. So I, I am very transparent about my own practices every day and about my own life path, um, which isn't all just the cute stuff that we've all we've talked about on this. Like I was a teenage mom. Like there's, there's some, I've been divorced a couple of times. I'm very transparent about all these things with my students as well as my um, team. Um, and purpose, living and working on purpose feels really good. And it is challenging and engrossing. And the more the closer and closer I've come to that in my life, the more addicted I am to that way of free, free and clear communicating and living on purpose. Um, so yeah, that's who I am. I love it. Um, so a little bit of a, a pivot here, but 
just curious, kind of looking back on all of this, can you tell me about a life-changing moment that you've had on this journey? Yeah, I'm going to tell you about a moment. Um, I've had so many. (laughs) I even like coined the phrase pivot people because I've had so many like literally just miracle moments with people that have changed my path. But I had this one. So I was um, I was running my own marketing consulting firm after I left Trulia and this agency that I worked at afterwards. Um, and I was working. I had like great clients. Mod Cloth was a client. Eventbrite was a client. Um, my fitness pal had come in as a client, and they were they were big. They were forty five million customers then, but they didn't have a marketing team at all, and they were starting to take an investment round and they were told like, they should talk to someone about building a marketing team. And like, what would that even look like? Because when you have 45 million customers and you're not doing any marketing, there's like a real question about, do you need to have marketing? Mm-hmm. And if so, what do they do? So I had worked with them, gone there and was like building out a strategic framework for marketing, had done a bunch of the con- proof of concept tests, was like, here's what your strategy should be. Here's the kind of person you should be hiring to run this team. And, you know, kind of was like, let me help you find that person because I have a real great setup with working at home with great clients with my pugs on my lap all the time. And my, the CEO, Mike Lee, he was like, you can hire everyone on your org chart there, but except the head, because that's you, that's your job. And I was like, oh no, like I'm not taking jobs anymore. I'm good. So I literally hired the whole marketing team for the company, was sitting on the leadership team and was just a consultant for months. Every month he made me a job offer for six months. And in that last conversation, he said, you know, and all this time I'm really getting deep into my own spiritual practices. Like all the pieces are coming together and I'm communicating at a new level of freedom and clarity and what I call strategic truth telling. Like I am not the no filter chick. That's just not even cued to me. (laughs) That's not even a good look, but I am all about free and clear communication. Like if it is true and it is relevant, I will say it in a way that makes sense for the objectives of the company. Right. So like I think about all of those things and in a way that like makes sense for our, the relationships um, involved. And he said to me, I need to have you in the leadership room of this company. And that was one of the major reasons why, that he could always count on me to say what no one else might say, Hmm. um, but to say it in a way that was like additive and always sort of onward, always upward for the organization. And, you know, I don't say that as just, I say that I say that that was a pivotal moment for many reasons. One was that was a moment in which it really connected for me that by doing all of this deep personal growth work and by being committed to that, like free and clear communication, my practice, this is how like we operate. I, I say what is true. We build what we build, what we build purely based on like, say, frankly, our customers wants and needs and life's aspirations. And we build business models that mean we'll be fine business-wise if we help them do what they want to do, right? By committing so deeply to purpose and not worrying about, not focusing on like, is this the most prestigious job I could take? Or 
how much money am I going to make or worrying about trying to make that stuff happen. I had attracted in some like opportunities and partners and people who also valued that. And that elevated my whole life experience, actually learning that, learning that once I purely was following like inner guidance and, you know, clear in my committed to like the four agreements and like just my way of being, it attracted in this like really elevated level of other people (laughs) in every area of my life who allowed me to fully be, who valued and, you know, were delighted when I would show up and be a hundred percent of who I am. Church lady and all weird, (laughs) weird, you know, weird shit starting meetings. Like let's talk about the four agreements, like, and all right. Because I think a lot of people think that there's such risk to bringing 100% of yourself to work. And I think actually the risk is to not, right? Because when you're not, you're attract, you are attracting in people who are like on whatever vibe you're on. So if you're shutting yourself down, repressing yourself, trying to like kind of conform yourself into this thing, like, or just, you know, so compartmentalized, that's the kind of opportunity that will come to you. And when you like, just be who you are, it's good shit happens. Mm. Good, great people show up, you know? And that's, I've had a very different Silicon Valley experience than most people have had, I think. <laughs> you know, I read, I believe all that stuff too, because I know people who work in these companies where you hear about all this insanity happening culturally and from the top down. And I'll tell you, I worked at Trulia.com, which was a, a big old exit story in the Valley. And I worked at MyFitnessPal, which is also a big old exit story in the Valley. And we had male CEOs at both of those companies, but they were just like deeply good people. And there just was none of that, literally none of that. The biggest problem I saw at Trulia was like, people wanted to stay too long. I'm like, you guys have to have some other career experience at some point. (laughs) Because at my fitness pal, that was our big, the big problem was after the acquisition, when people left, it was like, where do we go? Where it's like this, where do we go? Where it's like, there is really, that is possible. I've seen it. I've worked in it multiple times. And, um, yeah, it's a good way to live. <laughs> it really is. I had I had such a beautiful lunch actually this week um, with an incredible woman named Sam Horn, and she was talking to me about how she felt as though her generation did the heavy lifting of getting women the seat at the table, but that seat at the table, you had to act like a man, you had to dress like a man, mm-hmm. you had to bring masculine energy in. And she said this next generation, that it's up to us to demonstrate not not only getting a seat at the table, but getting a seat at the table and showing up as ourselves. And showing up. I see that. You know where I see that so much? I see that so much in politics right now. Mm-hmm with this like record slate of women and seeing them not have to do it the pantsuit way, mm-hmm. right? Which was, that was all that was available if you wanted to win public office 20 years ago. It was the only way. And now we're seeing these, you know, women show up and be unapologetic and show their tattoos and bring their babies and be breastfeeding and be like, and also I'm really smart and I'm ready to lead some stuff. Let's do it and win. So I think that's right, but it still takes um, 
there's still not a huge amount of modeling of that. And I think it still takes some courage to do. Um, it is very self-reinforcing though. <laughs> so once you like do it a little <laughs> while, you get to where you're like, I don't know, this is just the only way I know how to live. Absolutely. You know, this is the only way I know how to be. I don't have, I was talking to someone about that the other day where they were like, well, of course you don't mean bring 100% of yourself to work, right? Like you just mean like 90. <laughs> and I was like, no, I actually mean a hundred. And they were straight like, up a hundo. Straight up a hundred. <laughs> like, because ain't nobody got time to be trying to be two different versions of yourself. But that, and I do think it, this is actually zero critique on generations prior, because I think that that is, that was the cultural norm and what people had permission to do now or to do then. But I think, you know, we're reinventing our world institution by institution, right? So like, show up as who you are and do the work, do whatever work it takes to be. I joke that my practices are like my spiritual cashmere blankie (laughs) because (laughs) I need, and especially before now, now it's, you know, we are at a point of no return. This is how we live now. But like 15 years ago, um, those practices gave me the level of internal soul level spiritual comfort so that I could be really uncomfortable at work. Um, because I was being very vulnerable. I was exposing myself. I didn't have somebody else that I had seen do this. I just knew this was the only way I could operate. And what ended up happening was this incredible validation loop of just people, you know, people and opportunities and work experiences showing up that were like, oh, we want that. Um, But like I was, I had to do it first. I wrote that 400 page book that everybody thought was crazy. (laughs) Because who's (laughs) writing what? You know what I mean? Like why? You're a real estate broker. Sell some houses. But I was like, yeah, no, this is a problem. You know, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. So I just had to get it out. (laughs) had to get it out. And, you know, taking that step, taking that first step of creating whatever is on your soul and putting it out into the world, whatever that means. It doesn't, I tell people all the time, your book does not have to sell your book or your story or your blog or your article or your, whatever your thought is, doesn't have to be a crazy New York Times bestselling top number one thing to call in the next season of your life in a really powerful way. Like I joke, I probably sold 10 copies of that book, but one of them was to HGTV, mm-hmm. you know, um, which was good. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a- <laughs> it changed my life, you know? And, and I don't just mean like as a financial result, I mean, it opened up literally the next stage of my career in life. Um, so yeah, you just got to do stuff because you feel like doing it sometimes. Love it. Um, so as we wrap up here, and, and we might have just mentioned it, or we might have just kind of talked about it, but I'm just curious around what is giving you hope right now? Oh, everything gives me hope. <laughs> I just gave a talk called Humanity is Not a Dumpster Fire, sharing with people. Because <laughs> I'm like a real spiritual contrarian. Like everybody else will read a headline and be like, Ev- everything is terrible. And I'll be like, Big problems and big solutions, guys. 
guys. Like that issue is calling some great stuff in. So like, I love this. I love the slate of politicians, the women politicians, that in all politicians. I love what I'm seeing happen in reaction to a real uh, contraction <laughs> down sort of, I, you know, the last season of politics in America has not been uh, great. And I think that that has planned to called forth so much activism from people who would not otherwise have been activists. I think it is calling forth a new season of like full self-expression and leadership. Um, and it will call forth it. We, we are going to have statistically just based on who's running right now, we will have a record number of women politicians in America, which because our gen- there was such gender inequity in that, space, this will be, it will be a new generation. And that I think is super exciting. Um, but I'm, it's, it's not hard to get me hopeful. (laughs) It's not hard to get me hopeful at all because every, everywhere I look where people see problems, I just see the seed of a solution coming. Even with like some of the digital stuff, how, you know, the digital disconnection, all of the like data and privacy and identity issues. I think we're really, what I see in my work is people really seeking out to make, to reset their relationship with technology, not by like, I'm off of this thing forever, but by bringing technology back to its proper place in our lives, which is servant and not master. So we're seeing just really cool stuff. Like we saw that big fundraiser on Facebook with the people who raised like $25 million for the legal fees of the separated immigrant families. We're seeing people like actually use these things that have felt like so, oh my gosh, you know, hell in a handbasket. We're seeing them use them and like to like really great effect. So I don't know. I I feel I am very hopeful. I'm very bullish on humanity actually. <laughs> <laughs> bullish that humanity is not dumpster fire (laughs) not a dumpster fire no matter what they say listen like i'm hopeful because the sun rose and set i didn't do anything to make that happen i think that's kind of (laughs) cool there is big great stuff happening around us all the time that people are like you know not paying attention to a huge thanks this week to tara nicole nelson and her whole team over at soul tour as well as to our wonderful production team at StoryPop Media and the entire Conscious Company Media team. And we also wanted to thank you, our incredible listener. This podcast would not be possible without you. The World Changing Women's Podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. As a reminder, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WCWPod. Join us next week for an interview with another world-changing woman. And thank you, as always, for listening. A StoryPop Media Production.